uh, we're now moving into the time in our service where we learn from God's Word. And I do want to mention ahead of time, there, there, if you hear the chirping of a bird, I might like to think that it is a special manifestation of the Holy Spirit looking like a dove coming down during this, but that is not the case. Um, we have ourselves a bird in here. So I'm going to say that in, in the beginning, just so that if you hear it, it's already been said and you can dwell on other things. Uh, you can open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 through 11 this morning. We've reached actually a transition point in Paul's letter, and we get to look at uh, Paul's pedigree here. And uh, first of all, I want to say, you know, there's a lot about his pedigree in here, about him being a, a Hebrew of Hebrews and the Pharisees or whatever, but we actually see his pedigree as a preacher as well. And where do we see that? Where he says here at the beginning, finally, my brothers, and he's only halfway done. So he's bringing us to a conclusion and he's only just getting started. And that's how we know he's the real deal as a preacher. Um, but what we get to, uh, uniquely in this section is he's now moving to address another situation where the Philippians are facing. He's, he's addressing uh, their own situation on the ground and one of the controversies that they have to face um, before them. And it is this group called the Judaizers. Now, one of the controversies in Paul's day was that um, there were uh, converted Christians who were also uh, holding on to some of their Jewish cultural um, and law-keeping aspects and trying to add them on to um, a life uh, that is lived for Christ. And so he is going to talk about that specifically, uh, but we're also going to see the same things, the themes that we have been seeing all throughout the letter, uh, that he is going to continue to deal with them uh, just through this lens. So all that being said for introduction, let's go to our text and I'll read, a, read it for us. Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reasons for confidence in the flesh, I have more. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel from the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. As to zeal, a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For His sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know Him in the power of His resurrection and may share His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The main subject we have to look at here in this passage this morning, of course, is confidence. And that Paul is putting before us uh, this issue of what uh, we have to be confident in 
um, to feel good about ourselves and to feel capable. And confidence is something that we talk about all the time, even outside of, um, you know, our religious or Christian life. And that we kind of know that confidence is one of those ingredients to success, that we need to feel like we can do something. Um, We need to have confidence in order to be satisfied in our work, uh, that we're doing a good job. Uh, if you want to you want to get a date, you have to exude confidence, um, so the person you're with will be impressed and want to get all up with that. Uh, confidence is is one of those motivating things we have that that helps us act um, and to have a sense of worth in the way that we act. But the problem with confidence is that the feeling of confidence, so we can get a feeling of confidence, and it's not necessarily. Uh, the same thing as having something that uh, we should be or could be confident in. And to illustrate this, the first thing that came to my mind, I know I've used this book as an illustration before, and I can't for the life of me remember what I was illustrating, but uh, it's not this. So if you have read Bill Bryson's book, A Walk in the Woods, it's a great book about a writer who um, tried to hike the entire Appalachian Trail. Uh, He went and he brought his friend along named Katz, and Katz uh, was used to eating um, a huge diet of food, stuff like Twinkies, uh, very unhealthy food. And so for him, knowing that he is going to suffer on this road through the Appalachian Trail, uh, he shows up and his backpack is just stuffed full of Little Debbie cakes and Twinkies and food like this. And having all this stuff in his backpack at the beginning actually helped him feel confident Uh, that he was going to make it. Uh, He would have everything he needed to do do a good job and make it to the end. But of course, you can guess, it did not take long at all for him to end up down, um, falling down a hill, swearing and throwing all of his stuff out of his backpack, and for him to realize that the things that had made him feel confident were actually weighing him down and were not helpful at all in the journey that he was on. And this is where we reach this, you know, this struggle in the Christian life. Um, there's a sense in which we know that we, you know, if we come into the Christian life, then we have confidence in Christ that he has paid for our sins. But yet still, we, have, we still have to continue to live. Uh, we have to live out the Christian life, and we desperately want things. We want things um, that we can cling to and we can specifically identify that will make us feel safe and that we are doing right, uh, that we are committed enough that we are living out of our salvation um, in the right way, that we have enough motivation, that our motivation are coming from the right places. And we really yearn uh, to have something to help us feel confident that, that even living out of God's grace, uh, that we are living right. And that's where we get here, uh, here into this passage. And Paul is going to address this uh, through a situation that we don't relate to, but he's actually going, what he's going to say is, I think, very relatable to us and where we're at. And he essentially is going to give us two ways of living, two ways of living out the Christian life, um, two ways of um, applying what Jesus has done um, and what implications that should have for our lives. And he's using the language, the one way is of the flesh and the other way is of the spirit. And so we'll just look at those two things. Uh, the way of the flesh we see here in the first couple verses, um, and it's not just a hypothetical group. This is a real group in Paul's day, and these are the Judaizers. He says, verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, those who mutilate the flesh, for we are the circumcision. 
And so he's using very strong, uh, even derogatory language here, um, but he is talking about this group um, who is insisting on, even after coming to Christ by faith, that they would have to circumcise themselves, that they would have to follow um, Jewish uh, worship uh, rites um, and rituals and law-keeping in order to prove uh, that they are actually taking their faith, faith seriously, they're actually committed, and they're actually living out of it uh, in the right way. And of course, this is what we looked at you know, several months back when we looked at the letter of Galatians, and we see the same thing happening here. Um, but why would, why would that be appealing? Um, you know, we don't have that same appeal to do those same things, but why would it be appealing to both you know, cling to Christ by faith and yet continue to live by, um, by all of these things, these requirements? And I think what's at stake here has everything to do with confidence and that if you can do this, that if you pledge faith in Christ but yet have these external signs... Uh, that you really belong in the people of God. Uh, they really give the tangible sense and that feeling um, that I am really doing something value, uh, valuable, um, that is impressive, um, and that my commitment level is, is where it should be. And so, in some sense, it gives a feeling of confidence before God, but this is actually um, one of the mi- more minor concerns of what Paul is actually addressing, even though that's applicable, and that much more so he is saying all these things in context of um, a people who has a hard time getting along with each other. And one of the main ways um, that we saw it see in this controversy and in our own lives is that one of the main ways that we can feel confident about ourselves uh, is not just how we live before God, but more so it is how we live um, horizontally in front of each other. And that if I can demonstrate um, that I'm more committed than you are, then my security um, in this Christian community is going to go up. People are going to think that I'm the real deal, uh, that my life is on the right track, um, and that being able to you know, have a leg up on other people helps us feel better about ourselves. And so that's essentially where, how this controversy um, was functioning here in the life um, in Paul's day. And so we have to ask, you know, we, we don't have a Judaizer uh, controversy here today, at least in our church. So do we have something similar um, that, you know, similar ways uh, that we actually struggle with the same thing? And I think if we, if you, we just notice these things that Paul lists uh, here as he lists off his resume, uh, there are several things that he brings out uh, that we might relate to. One is lineage. He says he's from the tribe of Benjamin. He was circumcised on the eighth day, that from the very beginning he came uh, from the right place. And, you know, we, we don't have the same values of, of tribe and lineage here in our day as there, but we do. And we'll notice socially um, in conversations, maybe even the things that we say, that, you know, we, that our name matters. Like, you know who my daddy is, right? Um, you know um, who the people I'm connected with are, Right. Like, you remember what church I came from that was a big, well-known church. Uh, You know the people that I'm connected to and that I'm friends with, right? You know, we wear these things that our origin, where we come from, even if they're unchosen, that we use them socially to lag up on each other. That because we are associated, we came from this place or this people or have this name, that actually gives us a lag up um, on each other. 
And we do this in the church just as much as we do outside of it. Uh, we see group identification here. You know, Paul is saying that he's a Pharisee. And a Pharisee, this is he is a part of the strictest religi- religious sect that he could be a part of um, as a Jew. And there are others he could have chosen, but he has chosen to be a part of this one. And this demonstrates that he is by his, his chosen association, that he really is a committed guy. He's the real deal. And for us, you know, there are all kinds of associations we make. Um, you know, politically is the easy one, you know, that we are, I'm a conservative or I'm a liberal or I'm an independent. And that this says something about ourselves uh, that separates us from other people. And we can use it as a claim that we are somehow more enlightened or better uh, because we, um, that we are identified with this group. Um, it could be other things like I'm a follower of of this person. Um, you know, I'm a Tim Kellerite, or I'm a James K. Smithy, or somebody else that because, you know, I've really taken on someone else's ideas, and they've become such a part of me that um, I can actually use them to differentiate myself from other people who are less enlightened. I've read this book or that book, and now, you know, my own ideas um, separate me from other people because I've seen the light. He says, as to zeal, he was a, Paul was a persecutor of the church. And that says, you know, and that's, we would say that's not a good thing, but if you were a Jew and you think that the name of God is being blasphemed, then Paul is saying, look, it's not just who I am. It's not just who I'm connected with, but I'm actually a really committed person. I took it very seriously. I took it the most seriously anybody else could take it. And we can look at our own lives and say, you know, I, I depend on Christ by grace. And yet, you know, I'm so generous. I live so self-sacrificially. I take so many risks for the sake of the gospel that is different from other people. And these gives me a sense of confidence that um, I at least have to be more committed living right than them. Or we say, you know, I put a very long rant on Facebook the other day about injustice that I see in society. And so if you want to talk about zeal, I've got zeal. It's all over my, you know, my social media profile. And even Paul talking about righteousness, that when it comes to the law, when it comes to following the rules, um, he did it. He did anything that could be asked of him. His public life was perfectly consistent. You know, if he were to run for office, nobody would be able to accuse him of being hypocritical or flip-flopping or anything like this. He actually practiced what he preached. He put what he believed into life. And these are things that we can do as well. So there are all kinds of ways. Um, I think that this hits very close to home and, can, and relates to any one of us. And we even can, you know, Paul is giving these in examples that when we get this, that we just desperately want these things to feel confident, particularly before other people, that we are somebody and that we belong, even that we're doing a good job. Um, we could add into this personality or gifts or any other things um, that would accomplish this same thing. And it will notice that some of these can be really good things, but the problem is that when they give us confidence in and of themselves, that even some of these you know, very good things they actually can have the opposite effect um, of what we intend, that we draw more lines between each other, that rather than building up a body in unity, 
that our own need for confidence actually separates us uh, from other people and the body is torn apart. And so what does Paul have to say about this? He says that if this is what we are depending on for confidence, if this is what makes you feel confident, it essentially is a righteousness of our own making and it is only on you and it is worth nothing. It is actually contradictory to what it actually means to live um, a life as a recipient of grace um, from Christ. It is both receiving that and then through the back door trying to add on other evidences, other works um, that we can depend on. And so we try to depend on grace and works all at the same time to feel confident. And what you get is a zombie. It's not, it's not totally grace, it's not totally works, and it is certainly monstrous, and it certainly is infectious and divides a community. And this way, actually, we might think it goes in the prophet column, but he says, all of these things I have come to see, they have actually been holding me back, and they have been preventing me from seeing something that is much more valuable. And what is that? This is the way of the Spirit. Uh, this is this, um, this second thing where he says here in verse 3, but we are the circumcision, we are those who worship by the Spirit of God. And just a couple things, this word worship is translated worship. This has much more to do with the idea of service, like that you would, you would work out your religious um, life um, in the temple by service to God um, and in community. So this is how that we live uh, this Christian life by the Spirit and what does that mean? And the Spirit is not just a feeling. It's not something we catch. It's not something even that is just out to clean up you know, our lives as it does. What the Spirit does is it binds us to Christ, both initially and, and continuing all the way through the end. The Spirit binds us to Christ. And so what that does, what Christ did, it brings together um, in the Spirit as we are united with Christ. We are both united with Him in His death, and in his perfect life. I know that, you know, growing up, I used to hear my dad give this illustration that, you know, if you ran a huge deficit on your bank account and somebody paid for that, uh, that would be really great. But you would still end up being a zero. And you would still not have anything to count as your own. But with this life in the Spirit, this being united with Christ, both in his death and his resurrection, the being partakers of those through the Spirit, it is like he gives us, he both removes the sinfulness from us for now and for all time, but he actually gives us Christ's righteousness as a gift and that what he has done is counted to us. And so we are able to have access before the Father, that we can go before him um, in total confidence because we have actually been made holy by God. And this is the thing that defines our life in the beginning, in the middle, and to the end is that we live in the Spirit and that we live in this reality that the Spirit has now united us to Christ so that it is Christ's life that counts for us and it is not our own. And if that is the case, there is nothing that is more valuable to us than what the Spirit can give. There is no kind of righteousness that we can hope in order to accomplish for ourselves that would ever equal the kind of righteousness that we have been already gifted through the Holy Spirit. And so trying to do so is actually undermining and is preventing us from seeing what we have already been given in Christ and the joy and the hope of what he has been given. It's a loss. It's holding us back 
and it weighs us down. But how does the Spirit work this in our, into our lives? And this is, I think, is really important here at the very end. And there I go, too. I'm signaling to you that we're at the very end and uh, we have more to go. Um, what he says is, Paul says, that I count everything a loss for the sake of knowing that I might know Christ, and that I might know him and the power of resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. And so as Paul has been unpacking all the time, as we are united to him in the Spirit, and we have been given everything by the Spirit by uniting us to Christ, what the Spirit then does in our lives of renewing us and making us new from the inside out is he actually leads us in this process first of death. Of death, of losing those things uh, that we used to feel confident in on our own that are actually, that pull us away and weigh us down from the value um, of uh, what Christ has actually given us. He leads us in this death, participating with him in his sufferings, so that as we are made low and as we are made weak and as we are led to see of how little value our own righteousness is before God and how little value it is even with each other, that from that point, it is the gift and the power of Christ that is able to lift us up and to give us everything from the bottom up. This is how this has worked into our lives. As the Spirit brings us low, He helps us see our weaknesses. He helps us to see uh, our dependence upon Jesus. And it is from that low point that we can see the gift we've been given and the power of His resurrection, that He is able to give us what is not our own, but is that which belongs to Christ. And what happens there is that these other things start creeping into our lives, like humility, like contentment, joy, gratitude, unity, which are actually things the law was pointing us to all along. That was never meant to justify. It was able it was to show us the character of God, of what he was about and what he desires. So this is a life that is lived in the Spirit, being united with Christ, participating in this process. The Spirit is leading us all in of death so that we can hope in his resurrection. And what does this mean for us real practically um, here at the end? On the first part, it helps us to actually embrace Christ's sufferings. You know, and it helps us to ask this question, what are these things that are actually holding us back, that is actually weighing us down uh, rather than helping us to see what is really valuable? There's a few things. You can follow, we can follow our criticism, and criticism will always lead us to where we look at each other and compare where our sense of confidence is before other people. Who are we critical of? What are the things we're always critical about? We can follow our discouragement our own de- with ourselves, others, our own depression and shame. We can follow our frustration and impatience, our own desire that we are the ones that have to make something happen and our lives are in someone else's lives, um, not the spirit in his own way. We can follow our indignation at other people, even when we feel wronged. If our confidence is in us, is in those things, then it will be a life that is full of criticism and discouragement and frustration and indignation at other people. But on the other hand, just as this leads us uh, to embrace the sufferings of Christ, to pay attention to these things, um, 
it also sets our eyes, eyes on something else, which is the power of his resurrection. That in God's deliverance of us, as we are both associated with his death and with his resurrection, that the Spirit is actually alive and well in our lives. He is working in us. He is creating something new in us that we could never even thought possible. And that he is leading us to know Jesus, to know our Savior who gave everything for us, and that with him we are truly safe. Uh, We can truly be satisfied. We can truly enjoy his presence, and we can look forward and hope to what he is going to do and is doing in us. And here's the thing. As we live, we will always be levering ourselves up and down from other people. Other people will be doing the same to us. And we have to live in a risky environment this side of the fall. Relationships are difficult. Relationships are very, very risky. But if our hope is in the spirit of what he is able to do by bringing us low and then raising us up in Christ and with him, it doesn't matter quite as much. It doesn't matter quite as much if somebody else is right or if they're wrong. It doesn't matter as much if they think high of us or they think less because we are being given something by our Heavenly Father who delights in us that is so precious that it is actually worth suffering the loss of all things. So what I don't get to say much these days is that Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ will come again. So I want to say that here at the end. But with this, His Spirit is in you. And so because of that, we are actually invited to do these things as a community, to examine ourselves here um, and to contemplate uh, the power and to long for the things that we cannot do on our own, but only the Spirit can do in us by His grace. And so from there, we actually could follow Paul's first command here that we would be rejoice. We would be able to rejoice in what He has given us. So I want to encourage us all uh, as we reflect on this passage this week that we would do those things. Uh, Let me pray for us, that he would help us. Father, thank you for your spirit and have mercy on us um, where uh, we we rebel against you and your grace by trying to um, make our way on our own every day. Have mercy on us by bringing us low. Have mercy on us by raising us back up again in confidence in your spirit, in his gift, and in his power. and that we truly would be able to rejoice in you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.